0: Hour 2, Mutt & 93 93.7 WEEI. The Hockey Gods gave us one with the beginning of the Bruins series. Not Friday, not Saturday, <laughs> but Thursday. And I'm just going to say Andy Brickley got it done. I'm going to say that Brick went in there and said, we need hockey Thanks, on Thursday, Brick. and because of that, we get it. So Brick, from all the Bruins fans, we say thank
1: you. Well, I'd for like Thursday to, I'd like to think I have that kind of clout, but obviously not the <laughs> case. I thought you guys invited me in today to talk a little racism and bigotry in sport, but Sure. Oh, uh... <laughs> well, in hockey, yeah, we can get
2: into
3: that. That <laughs> all we
1: want. But I think I think this is a good thing uh
2: for the Bruins. I I I'm listening. I think emotions will be high. Everybody knows it's a rival, but if it went till Saturday, I figure both teams would probably be off longer than they would like. This is kind of good timing for the Bruins, and the Canadians still had a lot of time off.
1: Yeah, a little bit better for Boston, seeing that uh, their series went one more game, did the Montreal series against Tampa. And I think this is almost optimal as far as the Bruins are concerned, time off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, had it gone till Saturday for game one, I think you would have really seen it in both teams right. early in the hockey game that they hadn't played a competitive playoff game for, you know, better than a week. So uh, that being said, for Boston to get this series started on Thursday, I think it's exactly where it needed to be and they should feel real good. You know, as players, you don't worry about the schedule. You don't you don't look at it and say, wow, we're going to play seven games over X amount of days. You don't really. Your focus is always one game at a time. I know it's cliche, but truly, that's the way it is in the postseason.
0: Uh, we talked about the the. We're going to talk a lot about Montreal today. And and as a heads up, when Brick's in studio, like he is today, we're thrilled to have him. It means your phone calls with Brick as well at 779 seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven. We're going to talk a lot of Montreal real quickly on Detroit. You were you were in the camp of shorter series. I was in the camp of longer series. And I will admit, I'm surprised that the Bruins are able to get through five. They lose that first game one nothing, and I thought the resiliency of he looked a little slow in that first game. From there on, Rick, I thought they dominated, especially in five-on-five. Five. And, and the biggest thing that I took away was the play of the young defenseman led by Dougie Hamilton. What was your biggest takeaway in a five-game Departure of the Bruins sending Detroit home.
1: That's a long list, Matt. It really is because there was so much to like about Boston. Whether it was their power play, the effectiveness of the man advantage, yep. uh, uh, what you bring up about the the mobility of their young defense and how comfortable they looked. And keep in mind that's a pretty good matchup for for the team that you were playing against as a young mobile defenseman. That's kind of hockey that Detroit wants to play, and and the Bruins were better at it than Detroit was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for, from where I sat and from my analyst seat, I loved the way the Bruins played to their identity in Game 2. And that sent a clear message to a team that had a lot of doubt about whether they could beat the Boston Bruins. No matter what they said publicly, there was doubt. And you could just tell by their body language, and they were like, wow, after Game 2, they... That Bruins team, you know, everything that we read and, and everybody that we we, we looked at and, and the strengths of that team were on display in Game 2, and I think that had a major effect on Game 3, but it could have been that long series had they been able to find a way to win Game 4, which they just couldn't do. The Bruins, again, with their team identity, the depth, their balance, came on strong in the second half of Game 4.
2: Yeah, I also thought special teams kind of stood out as well. Right? It seemed like... They couldn't
1: get things going. They couldn't even get the puck in the zone for the first couple of play goals. I think they had against Detroit. Mm. That was pretty impressive. And both units, you know, uh, had their fingerprints all over the power play. And that's, and that's a great thing when you have that kind of depth on the power play and a, and a better understanding of the talent that they have now in their lineup. Uh, you know, I will say this about Detroit, certainly not to defend their effort because I thought it was a pretty good effort by a team that was pretty beat up, especially when you talk about their top guys. But when you have Dodzuk less than 100%, obviously Zetterberg found some way to get himself into the lineup. And I know he had a couple of points in Game 5, uh, but a, a, a mere, you know, skeleton of himself, right. you know, coming back from back surgery, and that was pretty early return for him. But when you have those two guys on your power play and you rely on those guys to generate your scoring chances – uh, they needed more from and on their power play if he was going to be a part of it. But once you get Bertuzzi in the lineup to put him in front of the net, because none of the young guys seem to want to go there against the Boston Bruins. And again, it goes back to how much I liked the way the Bruins played. They they boxed out. They took away the middle of the ice. And the young guys for Detroit, they were instrumental in having the Red Wings make the playoffs. This was a different animal altogether. The playoffs and battling the Boston Bruins for space on the ice. But if you are able to create a power play with Cronwall out high, And a healthy Datsuka on one flank, and a healthy Zetterberg on the other flank, Bertuzzi in front, Franzen in the middle. That's a dynamic power Mm -hmm. play that can really hurt you. And you saw some of that in the last game of the series. So uh, in defense of Detroit, less than 100% with their top guys. And that really affects what you're able to do in the special teams department. I had to spend a week of listening
0: to to Lou, and rightfully so, wax poetic about how great Babcock is. And his, <laughs> I his just thought this quote. Oh, he's game. accurate. He's accurate. And I'm, I, quotes are outstanding. I Good thought even guy. after the series, he admitted that, you know, the Bruins are a place now where Detroit used to be, right? Detroit used to be a team fighting for Stanley Cups. Now they're fighting to just get in to the postseason. Where does Babcock rank on the Andy Brickley NHL coaches list? He's in the top – Five, top ten, top third, somewhere in that mix.
1: Oh yeah, he's, he's probably top three for me. Uh, wow. Yeah, I, th- I like his accountability. You know, you say he was a yeah. quote, you know, a quote machine in the postseason. Uh, he has a real good understanding of people. Uh, he understands his job is to manage those people in order to get the best results. Uh, he's not the type of guy that's going to tear his team down publicly. But once in a while, it's okay to send a subtle message through the media in order to get certain players' attention and say we need more from you. Uh, But it's his ability to actually make adjustments during the course of the game as long as you have the horses to do it and the players that understand those changes that have to be made throughout the course of the game that changes the outcome. And you don't have a lot of those guys in the National Hockey League. I'm afraid to say that, that we game plan, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to deviate from the game plan from, you know, from the minute we drop the puck to the end of the third period and you lose the hockey game. You have to be able to make changes, adjustments, whether it's matchups or changing lines around or changing your breakout or what you're going to do with your penalty, killing your power play. You have to have that in your arsenal to be a good coach. And I think he's got that.
2: Yeah, I just I just love some of the things he said, you know, when you talk about playoffs are for men and And you you earn a right to call yourself a good player in this league when you do it in the postseason, not just in the regular season. I just thought that, like you said, the accountability that he showed – Without really demeaning his own players,
1: right. you know what I mean. He believed in them, but they were young. Hey, this he, he spoke you know, the truth. To, yeah, to keep that streak going for postseason appearances with you know the the team that he had to do it with, you know, in the league that he played in and the division that he played in was pretty impressive.
2: Now, okay, when we look at that Detroit team, I think there were distinct advantages for the Bruins. Obviously, one was in in net. Yep, there was depth at the forwards. Four lines the way they played. There was depth. I believe, in play with their defensemen, which was, as we would mentioned, which was nice to see some of those young guys step up. I still think they have advantages in those categories, but they're not as big in this next series against Montreal. Would you say that this team,
1: depth-wise, and they have Gary Price, world-class goaltender in net? Yeah, well, we can talk a lot of X's and O's when you talk about Bruins-Montreal matchup, and uh, and they're worth talking about. And uh, But it's really going to come down to the Bruins and their focus and be mm-hmm. in control of their emotions and challenge. Uh, cha- channel their emotions mm. in the direction that they need to go, because Montreal has that uncanny ability to get under your skin, uh, even with the slightest little things. But as far as the X's and O's goes, the biggest difference, everyone talked about Detroit and their speed, and and we talked about this over the last couple of weeks, that, that speed is really apparent when you turn the puck over in the transition game. But if you own neutral zone, if you own the middle of the ice, all of a sudden that speed doesn't seem to be there. But what Montreal presents in terms of a difference from Detroit is quickness. You know, the difference between... Being fast and being quick, and and Montreal's quickness is they're real good one on one. They're real good one on one in the offensive zone because of their quickness. Uh, they're they're fast, sure, but Boston's fast too. It's it's an underrated uh, aspect of the Bruins game because of the style that they play. But but they're plenty quick enough to get to, uh, fast enough to get where they need to be. But what Montreal has is they're on you quick, but they create create offense quick in the in the offensive zone, and that's where the Bruins really will probably work on the next few days in their, in their battle, in their own zone, and body position, and, and how to angle people, and how to box people out, and how to get to pucks quickly. The Bruins can be big, bad, all they want, but if if Montreal's beating you with their quickness in the offensive zone to loose pucks and making plays quickly and beating you one-on-one with their quickness, they're going to create problems for you.
0: There was a story yesterday in the Herald talking about you know the Bruins and the way they're built is sort of the way that – you know, teams now want to emulate them. And one of the things they talked about was Montreal and how their team is different than Brick a couple of years ago. Renee Bork was mentioned, Pruss was mentioned, and how they're a, they're a, not a tough team, but they're a tougher team than they were, and almost with the idea that they did this because of the Bruins, because they knew now with the new playoff format, you have to go through your division. There is no way getting around it. There's no receding. You go through them. When you look at Montreal, how much tougher, how much more physical are they than, say, two years ago? And do you believe – the Bruins' model was what led to some of these new players in this Montreal team.
1: Well, in order to be a tough team, you have to have the buy-in from everybody. You know, you can go out and get tough guys like a George Paros. Uh, you can bring a Prust into your lineup. You can bring a Moan into your lineup. Uh, but you have to – even a guy like Yemelin on the back end who loves to be physical. I mean, you can have those elements to your game, into your lineup. But if you don't get the buy-in from everybody else, from the Placanitzes, from the rnas from the Lars Ellers, you know, guys that you don't normally say – These guys are going to take the body when it's there. They're going to have tremendous battle factor. They're going to win their share of one on ones. Uh, You know, when things get a little rough, they're not going to shy away. You know, they're not going to back off. They're not going to, you know, go in and prevent defense and just play. uh, We're going to go to a zone defense now instead of battling for every inch of the ice. So it has to be throughout the lineup. And I think that's, uh, that's why the Bruins are considered one of, if not the top model franchise in the league. That's the way Detroit used to be. And they're going through a transition right now. Boston is there. They established that over the last four or five years, and that's why they've gone deep into the postseason a couple of times. And I think people look at the Boston Bruins and say, like a Jerome McGinley, I want to play with those guys because they play the game the right way.
2: Now, how do you see the Bruins matching up, that Bergeron line? Do you see them go up against Vanek, Pacioretty, that, that line?
1: I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's the beauty of, uh, you know, game one, to see, to see the initial matchups, to see which coach wants to go which way, which deep pair. Uh, You know, you see how much they try to get matchups in the first period. Are they making rapid changes in order to get those matchups? Are they just going to let it play out, play a period, play a two-period, see how it unfolds? Uh, Expectations that it's going to be a long series and then those matchups. I could could read other people's opinions. You could listen to some of the coaching, uh, uh, you know, pressers and say, okay, maybe they're leaning in this direction. This is something that they're going to want to try to do. More importantly is how is Montreal going to try to play? and how the Boston Bruins are going to try to play. You know,
2: we were talking about Dougie Hamilton in the past. and talked about how you'd like to see that edge from him and that toughness from him. And, and if that's been questioned early in his career, still a young kid, after watching that game, that series against Detroit, I mean, you saw that edge. I mean, they were, after the whistle, you saw some uh, the roughing penalties. I don't want to see my top pair of defensemen off the ice. But just looking big picture, not a bad thing to see this
1: guy kind of get a little animated and get, get in there a little bit. 20 years old. You know, I mean, he, people lose sight of that fact once in a while that this kid is just, uh, you know, I mean, what would he be, a sophomore or something in college? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, this kid wow. is, he's hes figuring it out. You know, it's kind of on the job uh, as we go. And, and with the injury situation on the back end with McQuaid out of the lineup and obviously Seiden- Seidenberg out of the lineup, This guy's relied on, and you have to earn those minutes, and he has developed as a player. Offensively, he's got all the confidence in the world. He loves to carry the puck. He likes to jump into the play, Uh, likes to make that first pass coming out of the zone and then jump into the play and be the trailer and look for his shot offensively. He's got great lateral movement out along the blue line, able to create seams to get his shots through. All that stuff comes natural, and you're confident, and the coaches have said, play your game when, when you're on that side of the ice. Where he needed to learn was how to win one-on-one battles in his own zone, how to get body position, how to use a real good stick. When you play with Char, you start to understand how to use that stick more effectively to break up plays, how to close on people, how to angle you are going to give him the outside, but then how do you prevent him from taking the puck to the net or curling back and hitting a late guy? That's all an acquired uh, understanding and learning process that he's getting, and he's getting it as we go. He got some a little bit in the postseason last year. He's getting more this year. He's required to play more, but he's earned that opportunity, and he's— He's, he still has some holes in his game, no doubt about it. But, again, that Detroit matchup was real good for him, mm-hmm. but he looks really comfortable and confident. You mentioned
0: the word I want to ask about with Hamilton, which is confidence, is when he has had his issues. Uh, and Lou and I talked about after game two, he played 14 minutes, and he was down towards the bottom of the defenseman. Even an even strength, you looked, and there were guys who played ahead of him. When he's gotten himself in trouble, Brooke, when he's not played up to his level, has been the physical side of it? Has it been the mental side of it with him, that
1: confidence you just mentioned there at the end? Well, it's a combination of both. It, it, it's his, his. Uh, he needs to defend a little bit better. You know, you can't get beat if you go in the corner and, and try to be overly physical or try to say, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit this guy real hard along the wall." You can overcommit. You know, there's a time to contain. There's a time to go in real hard, and and you can't get beat. Once you make that body contact, you can't get beat back into the play. And that's one area that he's learned to be better at. But occasionally, that still happens. Sometimes you go for that puck. You know, you're looking at the puck and you try to go for the sweep check. I got it for sure. And then all of a sudden, a really good player taps it by. He's now he's now you know he's creating a two on one away from you. So it's mostly from the blue line, his own blue line in that they're looking for improvement it's been there, but it's going to have to continue to get better because you got a really good team. Detroit was good, Montreal's better. Yeah, you know, there were some things in that
2: series that uh, as it went on leading up to Montreal that maybe I wasn't a big fan. Of. Number one, the way that the fifth game was called by the referees. I was like, I hope this isn't the way it is <laughs> in Montreal. So then there there was some you know, you can look at some of the Bruins and say, man, you know, they, what's going on here? But we talked about the Brad Marshall. I don't believe it was a flop. I think that was a trip. But there were some others that said, I, I don't want this style. We're going to be playing Montreal. We're going to be getting on them for doing it. I don't want to see the Bruins, you know, flopping around or, or embellishing. And the other side would have been Brad Marshall. A couple of those penalties in game five I didn't like either. You know, I think it was Cronwall when he got on the top. He could hit him once, but it was a second time. It was like, okay, now you hit him once, there's got to be some discipline. You go back and hit him a second time, you're out of there.
1: The other penalty on Zetterberg. How much are we going to be talking about this part of the game next round? Well, it goes back to the comment I made right at the outset when we started mm-hmm. talking Boston-Montreal. Before we get to the <laughs> X's and O's, it's the channeling of the emotions. Right. And it's the focus and staying disciplined. And the best way the Bruins can win or give them give themselves the best chance to win is just to play their game. And you know, I'm not going to paint the Montreal Canadiens with a with a you know with a wide brush and say that they're all this style and and they're not. You know, there's some stand-up guys over there that play try to play the game the right way, but you know the the perception is and they've kind of earned that perception that they are going to try and draw penalties. That everyone's Subban. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and, and that's not the case. But but there's enough of them in their lineup right. that that is the perception, and 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 uh, and Boston. They must, you know, that's, that's rule number one, that they have to have discipline and discipline comes in a whole number of ways. But one of them is to make sure that you don't get outside of who you are because Montreal is making you go there.
2: When I think of that, I think of, I think of two guys. I think, I think Luch has got to control the emotions. I think we've seen at times that he can do some penalties and react, but it's all Brad mm Marshawn. I mean, to me, you know, I look at him and saying, okay, there has to be a line.
1: Yeah. and, and, and When you think about Brad and his performance in Detroit, the first thing that jumps to your mind are the two open nets. Right. Or maybe even three, Three. if you want to count the the game before. So uh, that's a a concern. You know, where are you at mentally? Where are you at emotionally? Where are you with your confidence? And those are the things you want to be looking for in game one for Martian. Where is he with his game and his confidence level and his focus? He missed practice yesterday. He was back
0: this morning from all the reports. Uh, well, that's good news. That's because wondered yesterday. All of a sudden, okay, what? Why was he absent? It was kind of a surprise to the people. DJ Beam was there. We talked to. I, I couldn't agree more, and I think most people agree that it's the emotion of this thing, and not not being goaded into doing what Montreal wants you to do. The question, Brick, because you've sat in these dressing rooms, you've you've sat there when your rivals have been Hartford and Montreal and teams you just did not like. Mm. Whose job is it to get that word across? I, I assume it's Claude Julien. Does he just? Do you show the last game of the season when they took put Montreal in six power plays? I mean, do you show video of what they try to do? Who? How do you get that across to your players that no matter how much you hate this team and what they do, <laughs> you are at disadvantage. You're playing into their hand if you start to take liberties with Montreal.
1: Well, obviously, that message is going to come from the coaching staff, and it's going to come from the leadership group, and the players all over, there, over in the over in the Bruins will tell you that they got a bunch of leaders in there. But what it truly comes down to is. You know, if I'm sitting, you know, in my stall in the locker, I mean, you're to my right, Lou's to my left. It's your job to remind me, and it's my job to remind Lou, and it's Lou's job to remind Mutt that this has to be our focus. It just right. goes right around the room, and that's where the reminders and the focus needs to be. That's not—it's not, it's not a, a speech that comes from Zdeno Chara. Mm-hmm. It's one player reminding the other player that he sits next to that this is how we're going to get it done.
2: You know, listen, you and Jack do the games, especially against Montreal. We. Guys, true professionals. Jack, sometimes it's emotional, right? Emotions will come out. Do you have to hold it back? You still hate this team? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I mean, I was talking about this the other day. You know, we were talking about uh, over at Nesson about the series, just Boston, Montreal in right. general. And I said, I'm the perfect guy to address this because I was eight and ten when they won the cups in '70 70 and '72, but I was haunted by all the failures and the dramatic failures in the postseason when they couldn't beat the Montreal Canadiens, uh. whether it was the Orespo era or it was the Don Cherry teams of the mid-70s to late-70s and the heartache and the too many men on the ice and, you know, whatever it was, haunted by it. And then I started my pro career, and I really wasn't paying attention so much to the Bruins, but they were getting beat by the Canadians throughout the 80s, and it wasn't until, you know, 19, what, 87, 88 that they finally beat Montreal. So my, my standard phrase is I respect the Montreal Canadiens, and the Stanley Cup championships that they've won, but I don't have to respect the individual players, especially the way they play certain players. So yeah, this—I uh, you say emotions, I say passion mm-hmm. for Jack, and that's that's the lead emotion yep. when you talk about Jack Edwards. And and I'm a little bit more balanced, a little bit more reserved because he can carry the passion for the two of us. You know, it's it, the needle's that high. But yeah, this is a series that I look forward to every. I hope you know, I hope Boston plays Montreal. Every year. Because so you're going to get you know, that it, now with the way it, the playoffs are set exactly. up. exactly,
2: And that's the way it was back in the day. See, that, that's the one thing I think the NHL still has. The players still have it. I don't think it's there in MLB or, or NBA. If free agents, uh, whether it be you have the same agent as the other guy, you hang out, you work out in the off offseason. I feel like the NHL still has pure hatred. You know, for for the players. Well, I like, think it's NHL guy, and NFL because both are so physical. But and even, that, that physical stuff regards guys Even a guy to that's on your team, you see them go up against them, and it's like they're almost picking on them. They're beating a hell lot of them in the corners.
1: They, those athletes still have hatred for the other team. I'm Missing a, in the other sports. Yeah, I well, I know. And I, I agree. And 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 there are countless examples to make your point. And uh, maybe this isn't as accurate as it could be, but, you know, Seabrooks hit on Bacchus. You know, <laughs> I mean, that was all about yeah. I mean, I know they had to shake hands at the end, and I don't know what the mm-hmm. exchange was, but to me, that—that's hatred right there. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, it's it's crossing the line, and it's a suspension. it's mean, a fan, but it's based in it's in, in in pure dislike emotion. Yeah. Mm. Great, uh, getting
0: fired up. I wish wish game one was tonight. Uh, Brick is here in studio; is going to be here until noon. Uh, he is taking your phone calls. We are taking your phone calls. Your thoughts expectations of the Bruins in this series against (laughs) Montreal. 617-779-7937 is the phone number. The AT&T text line is 37937. And a reminder, Brick is going to be very busy during this series, okay? Uh, Nesson is going to have one hour pre and post before and after every game during the second round of the Canadiens starting tomorrow night, 630 It'll be on Nessun Plus tomorrow at 6.30. You can find your channel at Nesson.com
2: slash Nessun Plus. One other thing, too, from our beautiful text board. Yeah. It says, Brick, if you're sitting between Mutt and Lou and the Bruins locker room, it's going to be a short series. <laughs> so just to let you know.
0: <laughs> I can agitate. That's about it. I can't skate, but I can agitate. Your calls with Brick, 617-779-7937. Your text messages with Brick as well, 37937. Guess who's back at practice today? Dennis Seidenberg. Brick changes tune at all about Seidenberg back for the postseason. That and Montreal thoughts. Keep it here.
3: I hated Boston when I was in Montreal. Now I hate Montreal because I'm in Boston. So that hopefully that answers your question.
0: The word is passion when you talk about <laughs> Jack Edwards. <laughs> Martin Liu with uh, his oh, partner Andy Brickley, who sees that on a nightly basis during the season. Here in the house talking all things Bruins and Canadians. Your calls and text 617 779 Seven ninety three seven. The AT and T text line is three three seven.
1: You know, we have a lot of downtime when we travel during the regular season, and in the off day, on occasion, we may go find a local establishment to have a couple of beers sure. or something. And yep. we always look for a place that has a jukebox. Otherwise, we're going to listen to that for about four hours,
2: <laughs> <laughs> which is entertaining in itself. He just, you find him just scribbling <laughs> on napkins once in a while when he kind of puts a couple good sentences together, and he's like, "Ooh, you know what? That, that's actually." We write this thing down.
1: Uh, save this for later. No, because I wouldn't know what I was saying even if I wrote it down and read it. Uh, the napkins are used more for hockey diagrams. To oh, be honest, <laughs> let's. Uh, we're
0: talking about this series, and, and we've talked all really before the the season started, the playoff this season, the second season started, about the potential return for Dennis Seidenberg, and you have been the level-headed uh, voice of this, saying you're an idiot, Mutt Lou. He's not coming back. He's not going to play. I just, I don't think it's going to happen. Yesterday he returned not just to a pre-practice uh, skate, but practice, non-contact, but was practicing. Uh, reports are uh, that he was back at practice again today. Ooh. I want to ask you this every week, but do you feel any differently? <laughs> but you, but you are. We will. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel any differently about the potential return, not this round, but
1: at some point, of Dennis Seidenberg during the playoffs? Well, first of all, I never said you were an idiot, and I didn't even imply that because that. I think it's it's an okay question to ask, and it's a topic that should be out there because he's on the ice. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, that being said.
3: You're uh, kind of an idiot. <laughs> uh,
1: you know, as a player, when you're coming back from major, major surgery, there are going to be several days in a row where the gains in your health are just making you feel really, really good. You know, you compare it to where you first were post-surgery. All the effort, all the rehab, uh, all the hard work, all the attention to try to keeping some kind of conditioning all starts to pay off when you start to feel good. But A, you got to let the healing process be complete before right. you even think about playing. I don't know where that is. You'd have to ask the doctors and you'd have to ask Dennis where the healing process is just in terms of time secondly as good as you feel you haven't had body contact yet and the first day that you have body contact oh maybe you get in a different position there's a little bit of leverage somebody's leaning on you a little bit you go to explode to make contact it's a different feeling now that great feeling you had because you're on recovery it's the postseason. you want to be a part of this you know you can be a big part of this if you're healthy so those emotions and those feelings and the physical feelings They'll change as we go along. I'm sure Dennis is feeling really good right now. He's taking part in practice. He can see light at the end of the tunnel. He thought he was done for the year. And that's why I'm conservative in my approach. You know, would I like him? Obviously. He makes the Bruins a better team if he's up to speed, if his conditioning is there, and the contributions are to be what they are. And I don't expect him, and this is something we talked about, I don't know if it was a week or two weeks ago, uh, I don't expect him to be a 12 to 15 Mm. minute guy. You know, I, I look at guys that were out, for an extended period of time, and came back and played for their teams in the postseason. Zetterberg's a prime example. He played 19 19, and a half or 20 minutes each game that he played. I know one was overtime, but he played a lot. He played his regular minutes. Duchesne comes back to Colorado. First game back after missing significant time. Plays nearly 20 minutes. So I don't see guys of that stature. And I put Seidenberg in there because he's the second-best defenseman, and some nights he was the best Bruins defenseman. Uh, in that same category, that if he's back, I'm I'm not looking at him as a spot guy. I expect him to play.
2: Yeah, you know, and you mentioned too the contact. It's you get hit, whatever it is, your body starts to react. And healthy knees, healthy elbows, healthy joints, healthy backs—they take punishment, but because they're healthy, that's no big deal. You just bounce off of it. Well, that 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 knee—that maybe recovery time three months, three and a half, four months. Maybe it's not that. You know, all of a sudden, a little move that shouldn't bother you all of a sudden does. And and, and then you guys start looking at setbacks, right, when he starts to get the physical play. Right. You know, it, everything is great now. He's skating. Everything feels good. But all of a sudden here now, do we have some setbacks? So maybe you don't see Dennis Seidberg, and I don't think anybody expects to see him this series. For sure, we'll see in the Eastern Conference Finals. Daniel Paye
1: cleared concussion. Do you expect to see him? How about Chris Kelly? Uh, I don't expect to see Kelly. I, I haven't even seen him in his equipment. Uh, not that I'm at the arena every day. And he was but, not there again today yeah, either. So my, minor injury seems like it was more than that at this point. Well, yeah, and, and, and I'm not talking out of school, but when, when we saw him and, and the public saw him, those that were around the team, uh, he he did not look good. And it was such a disabling injury when you're back uh, uh, is the problem. So, no, I don't expect to see Chris Kelly. I totally expect to see Pi Tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. Uh, The expectation is he'll be back with his regular line, playing with Kelly, playing with Thornton. That makes that line better, as well as uh, Jordan Caron played. And I expect Florick to stay in the lineup on that third. Well, that's the next question. So it's uh, Karan. Yeah, I I would think. I think logic tells us that. that, uh, And then when you have Pie in the lineup, and if you're not getting what you want out of that third unit, you still have the ability to switch those two guys around, and maybe Pie slides up to that third line. So, uh, Florick's done a nice job. He seems to be comfortable playing with uh, the two Swedes, and I think Karan's game is more suited to play with Campbell and Thornton. But if Pie is ready to go, he's a guy that's got to come out.
0: Yeah, Florick has, has been an eye opener to me. I mean, at one point, you know, Florick and Karan had two of the Bruins' first four or five goals. You know, in this playoff run, and I had not expected. Uh, and, and the expectation for me would be going forward that pa- power play brick. You, you mentioned it going into the series. You, I, I asked you what what are you most looking forward to? I mentioned Milan Lucic, and you mentioned the power play. They were so good mm. in that first round. That emergence is it as simple as is it as simple as Chara in front and again Lahir? I mean, because it seems like those oh, Krug. two things and crew last of year was a, a big different part personnel, of it. right? I just love the way they approach it now, especially
1: with Chara in front of the net. Yeah, the, the Chara in front of the net has worked. You know, and it has worked primarily because when they tried it in the past, they didn't have a Tory Krug. They didn't have a Dougie Hamilton, really, Mm -hmm. with that mobility and the power play skills out along the blue line. A guy that was faster, quicker, uh, younger. They could go retrieve pucks when they were sent the length of the ice. And then as they got uh, better at making decisions as a quarterback, if you want to call it that, carrying the puck up the ice, that allowed Chara to get to the front of the net. And with his size, and to his credit, he's really worked at you know the ability to not only take the goalie's eyes away, but uh, the hand-eye coordination to get some pieces of the puck. Quickness to jump on rebounds, you know, a big body, a big long stick. That's not easy when pucks are in by your feet when you're trying to get rebounds in front of the net. Uh, He's really improved at that. He's gotten better at going to get pucks. You know, you can't just stand in front of the net the whole time when the puck's up for grabs. You got to go outnumber your opponent. You got to get in the corners. You got to make plays back to the point. Then you got to get to the front of the net. So Chara's done a really good job to his credit uh, to be more of a factor. But when you add Krug, and I'll stay with Krug because that's the unit that plays together. Hamilton plays with the other with the other guys. And the threat of Aginla, mm. you know, the, the Aginla one-timer or the Aginla's goal scoring from the opposite side of the ice in that formation that they have with the man advantage really hasn't been there, but you still have to game plan for it because he's a gifted goal scorer. So that opens up more options for you. And, and Lucic has gotten better in terms of reading the play and reading the cues. There are certain cues you have with a power play. You know, you want, you want a, kind of a soft structure to your man advantage, but there has to be cues that uh, everybody's on the same page when this happens, I'm going here when that happens, everybody else is rotating. this is where we're going. We're trying to set up this two on one. and you have to be able to read that and see that and still have some creativity to make things happen with the extra man and I think. So the additions of Krug and Hamilton, Claude's willingness to go with four forwards and 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 one defenseman. I know Chara's a defenseman, but he's actually sure. a forward in that in that unit. Mm-hmm. so uh, you know the involvement of the team of the coaching, of the philosophy. But it's the better personnel that has made them have a, a much more quality power play.
2: Yeah, you got a lot to go here. I mean, as far as the, the postseason goes, but it does at it least the potential of saying, "Wow, this this could be one of the better Bruins teams, if not the best." And I know they won a cup a few years back and went to it last year. But the addition of the power play, the addition of a third line. I mean, right? They they went to this cup and lost without a third line. They won a cup without a power play. So you look at the addition of both of those things. And it eases the pain a little bit, like, say, you know, early in that series and the Luchits, you know, again, the Krejci line hasn't really woken up yet. You say, well, it's okay. I mean, you got the second line, you got the third line, They got a power play. I mean, you can still get it from so many different areas. This is depth that we – I don't know if we have really
1: seen as a unit. Yeah, and I have so many random thoughts when we talk about, uh, you know, the playoffs and the matchup with Montreal and and what they just did against Detroit. And, you know, I don't even know where to, to kind of pull it all together, but it's – uh you know it, what they've been able to do, and and you got to give Detroit credit. they they had to try to neutralize that line as best they could, thinking that that was the best way to slow down the Bruins. But because the depth, you know that we talked about before the series even started was going to separate the Bruins from Detroit, which is why I believed it was going to be a shorter series than most. Uh, you know, and then you think about, Mike Babcock talking about uh, how young his guys were. And tonight mm-hmm. we looked like kids. And, you know, well, wait a second here. Let's look at the Bruins. You know, they're pretty young, especially and inexperienced to some degree on the blue line. And that was a concern for a lot of Bruins fans. You know, what are you going to get from Krug? Yeah, he's played in the NHL. But, you know, how much playoff experience? You know, what's Dougie Hamilton going to look like in the postseason? Because he's only 20 years old. Kevin Miller, what kind of NHL experience does he have in the postseason? Yeah. Oh, all he was was a difference maker the minute he stepped into the line. So there was some youth and some questions on Boston, but they got performance because they got coached up, and they have that believability. But it's the buy-in factor from the leaders, especially down the middle, that makes Boston so strong. Well,
0: we'll come back and appreciate Carl Soderbergh we haven't talked about enough based on what he's done in this first round. And a caller wants to talk Bruins and Blackhawks. Your calls with uh, Andy Brickley of Nesson, 617-779-7937, or text at 37937. Brick is here until noon. We're talking bees with you, 937 weei Bruins-Canadians, game one tomorrow. We're talking in studio. Andy Brickley is here. When he's here, he's brought to you by our friends at Norfolk Power Equipment, by HSA Insurance, and by Joe and Lee's Golf Performance Center. 617-779-7937, the AT&T text line, 37937. ML is in Randolph talking Bruins and Blackhawks today. ML, what do you got?
3: Good morning, guys. Good morning. This is a first-time call to you guys A show Lou and uh, my. And Brickley, uh Breck, I'm glad you're on there. I, um, I value it. your expertise. I, uh, I enjoy listening to you and Jack. You know, when I'm watching the games, I think you keep Jack in line. He, he can be a little eccentric, <laughs> but uh, it, it's all good. But uh, I want to talk, uh, particularly to Lou. Lou, you and I usually agree with everything out of all the guys on the, on the on your station. Mm-hmm. You and Larry Johnson, I probably agree with the most. Yeah, uh, good right. That's a good
2: group right there. Compliment.
3: There you go. There you go. But Lou, I gotta take. I gotta. I gotta uh, bone to pick with you. When you say that I'm an old school type of cat, uh, when you say the Bruins are the best team, I realize you're saying that because you, you know you're from Boston. You're in Boston. Oh, not really. The, well, well, I look I, at the scoreboard too. Okay, that's true. But I look at the scoreboard, and there's a team out west called the Chicago Blackhawks. They're there's still the best team in the NHL because they are the defending uh, Stanley Cup champions. My my theory is until somebody takes the title or the Stanley Cup away from that team, they're still the best team. And as the Bruins and all you Boston fans found out last year, it's not an accident that the Blackhawks – brick would you agree with me? It's not an accident that the Blackhawks uh, were able to defeat the Bruins. Even though the Bruins, good skating team, hard-hitting team, I think the Blackhawks the – you know, you know, here,
2: Here's the thing, though. My one question would be, you know, the Bruins are the best team in NHL all year long. The best five-on-five team in the NHL all year long. Yes, Chicago's defending champs, and they will be the defending champs or the champs until they they get bounced. You know, the Red Sox are the defending champs, they're not the best team in baseball right now. You know, there's a
1: lot of great teams out in the
2: West, but I'm just going off the season. The season, season proved it. This right now they're the best team in hockey.
1: Yeah, I think there's two different schools of thought. Uh, you know, you may think that Chicago, because they won the Stanley Cup last year, that that, that they're the champions until someone knocks them off. Which the is other true. side of this. Well, the other side of the argument is. That Stanley Cup's just sitting there. It's anybody's this year. It's, it's nobody's. Right. You know, it's whoever's going to be the best team in the league this year, and that'll be determined throughout the playoffs. They're the Stanley Cup champions, not the Blackhawks. Blackhawks won it last year. Congratulations. And I think they won it. I don't believe. I don't buy into that belief that the Bruins lost no, in no, Game 6. Just better. Chicago won it. Yeah, they, they were an awesome team, and, and they looked pretty impressive. It, you know, going down 2-0 to St. Louis, it didn't look good. You were, you were concerned about the health of Kane and Taves. Taves took a couple of big hits early in that series. And, uh, and for, what, for what they were able to accomplish uh, was pretty impressive, I think, in round one. One, <clears throat> we talk about the, the alignment, okay? Some really good teams going out in round one. Sure. And, and I think that's that's tremendous. I mean, it, the, the interest in the NHL playoffs right from the opening puck drop of game one of round one because of the two, three matchups that we've gotten this year, I love it. And, and
0: I, I would say uh, yeah. you're a defending champ until the opening night of the following year. like you're, They're no longer yeah, the defending champion anymore. Right. Once the season started this year, on paper only. The yeah. cup is back and available for everybody.
1: Yeah, and, and we said that in October of 2011, right? And the Bruins were champions mm-hmm. in, in June, June 15th of 2011. Opening night in October, that cup's up for grabs.
2: Well, given that, you know, here we are in the second round, and you've got Bruins-Montreal. Now, I, I watched a little bit of this Pittsburgh-Columbus series, and Fleury, to me, is still a guy that is – you have to be concerned with. I'm watching that last game. Mean? I heard I'm... he was the best player in that series. <laughs> no, listen, I'm watching. <laughs> that... Crosby said he was the best player in the I, series, Lloyd. <laughs> I'm watching that game six and I am just laughing. Four nothing. I saw four one. I'm like, oh come on. Give me another one. Four to two. One more. Four to three. I'm like, this is awesome. You're I mean, you're you're into that game. Because of that, I, I think that this is probably it's gonna be a tough test next round if they get by this one. This is the toughest test.
1: Yeah, you, you know, if, if you want to project, I think I'd agree with you. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this, it appears that Montreal, with their confidence level, their sweep of Tampa, uh, how much they believe in what they're doing, uh, the addition of Vanek, you know, uh, the home ice advantage, whether, you know, whatever their record was during the regular season, it, it doesn't matter. Playing in the postseason in the city of Montreal is always a challenge no matter how good you are. Uh, and it sets itself up to say, wow, this is going to be an epic series. It could go seven again. And if you compare them to either a Pittsburgh or a Flyers or a Rangers, it almost seems like Montreal would be a harder, mm-hmm. a harder uh, test or harder challenge for the Boston Bruins. But you know, the theory is the more you play, the deeper you go, the tougher it gets, and the better the teams are. But with the alignment going back to the old ways, maybe not. No, not. And you don't get the reseed anymore. You get a pretty tough team in Montreal.
0: Darren's on the Cape, actually talking Montreal and Bruins today with Andy Brickley. Go ahead, Darren.
3: Yeah. Hey, Brick, uh, what do you think about the advantage of Montreal's bench? They, their bench extends to the red line and deep into their zone um, and the Bruins bench is really short and the goalie can't even go. So during a, during a tight TV timeout, the goalie doesn't talk to the goalie whereas Montreal does. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. You're really peeling the onion. I like it. I like <laughs> it. This is great. Uh, you know, Montreal is, is famous for, uh, or infamous for, you know, whatever advantage we can get, we're going to create and, uh, I was talking about this with Jack the other day, and, and uh, it's a little along different lines. But back in the day when you had uh, the garden, which was, uh, what, 190 by, you know, 82, you know, and Buffalo was a small yeah, rink. A and Chicago yeah. was a small rink. Now everything's standardized. Everything's mm-hmm. 200 by 85. And, you know, you can't really build your team kind of to the way your rink is and the shape of your rink or, the, or how tight the corners are or whatever it might be. And I kind of miss that. I kind of missed that. But wherever you can get an advantage, whether it's, uh, you know, bench size or whatever you can do uh, to create that advantage, go for it. It's not not cheating? No. no, no, They don't use pintar? No, it's gamesmanship, baby.
0: (laughs) It leads me to my last question. It's only cheating if you get caught, (laughs) though, right? You're picked for this series. (laughs) Glops of it on you, yeah. Well, it ties into cheating. Are you one of those who uh, believes the theory that Montreal always gets the first penalty in Montreal? No, no. That every time they're home, they will get the first one no matter what?
1: No, and we joked last week about, you know (laughs) – getting a power play in the final two minutes, you know, and an exchange in the corner that if you're going to call it, call them both, but better off, don't call anything. You know I mean? That was my viewpoint of that replay that, that gave the gave the Canadians a power well, play. Well, the theory but, was well, that kind of call wasn't called earlier in the game that night and then late at the end. No, no. I, I, to simply say that, you know, first penalty, first power play, whatever you want to do, it goes in favor of Montreal in their building. Uh, no, I don't believe that, but I know that there's pressure on the officials when they, when they call a game in Montreal, it's intimidating and it can affect your judgment. I talk about the Bruins needing to keep focus. I think the officials face the same challenge. I mean, is it just there? Is that, is, that, is that just a yeah, yeah no, the, just yeah. the craziest? It's the mecca, right? They invented the game, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, capital, come on! No, and then this that compared conspiracy theory. We talked right. about this too, you know, about the only Canadian team with imperious conceit. <laughs> <laughs> the only Canadian team in the playoffs this year. They advanced to round two. They haven't won a Stanley Cup since '93. And you know, I was thinking about that the other day. You know, look at the teams that have won Stanley Cups since Montreal last won it. You got teams in the southern belt. You got. California teams, you got Detroit winning it four times, the Bruins, Chicago twice, uh, the Rangers, like all the original six, except Toronto, uh, you know, have won Stanley Cup's last since Montreal has won a Stanley Cup. So I think there's just pressure. A, no pressure. Yeah, there you no go. pressure, Canadians. <laughs> uh you
0: you came on the air and you told us Bruins in uh, four or five basically felt like that was the way it was gonna go in Detroit. You feel like making a prediction on Bruins Canadians? I think it, I think it goes the length. Bruins uh, back home in 7. Yep. Sound oh, familiar? That would, that would be good. <laughs> uh, and, and th- I would look, love it. Seven. Seven of them. The way this works, okay, Nesson has no control over this, but you get to this round and NBC, our friends at NBC come in, they take the game. That doesn't mean you're not going to get the great breakdown from brick before and after every game. We're talking an hour pregame, hour postgame before, every round two game, and every game going forward. Doesn't whenever, Until this, this thing is done – you will see Brick and Jack and Dale and that cast of characters an hour before the game, hour after the game. Tomorrow it's on Nessun Plus, beginning at 6.30. You will be uh, at the Garden
1: for this one, correct? Yep, yeah, 6.30. And tomorrow can't get here fast enough as far as I'm concerned. I oh, can't wait. Brick,
0: uh, thank you so much for coming in. All we'll great. talk to you throughout the series. Good to see you guys. Uh, he is Andy Brickling. You'll catch pre- and post-game on Nessun and Nessun Plus uh, tomorrow night. 617-779-7937, text line. Three seven ninety three seven talks in baseball. Buster only. What's the thing about the Red Sox and the sluggish Rays to start the year? Buster only. ESPN next.